Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. You can listen and subscribe to the show for free on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For network or show information, visit fightradio.me. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Lisa McCourt, and we'll be talking about her work on the topic joy, as well as her new book, Free Your Joy, The 12 Keys to Sustainable Happiness. Learning about joy is one thing, but it's the doing that actually shifts your energy. Joy is not an elusive fantasy to be chased. It's simply a skill to be learned, practiced, and mastered. In her new book, Free Your Joy, 12 Keys to Sustainable Happiness, Lisa McCourt, host of the Do Joy podcast and founder of Joy School, offers a unique approach to joy and emotional wellness. Lisa takes readers month by month through the life-altering principles of vibration elevation that she has taught for 20 years through her joy school. Lisa McCourt has taught joy in all of its many flavors for more than two decades to thousands of learners. Founder of Joy School, Lisa has penned more than 40 books for adults and children. She is also a podcaster, former popular CBS radio host, and a joyful singer in Michael Beckworth's Agape Choir. She brings her passion and unique blend of skill sets to an eclectic career path that is ever mysteriously unfolding just the way she likes it. For more information, you can visit Lisa's website, which is lisamccourt.com, and that's L-I-S-A, M-C-C-O-U-R-T dot com. Now that, I'd like to welcome Lisa to the show. Good day, Lisa. Robert, thank you so much for inviting me. A delight to be here. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Joey is one of my favorite topics <laughs> to uh, to talk about. Oh, why not? Um, so, yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, my very first book was called Joy Potential, where you'd least expect it. So I've been kind of uh, honed in on joy for, for quite some time, and I, I always love to learn new ways of experiencing it. And then your your 12 keys and uh, year-long approach are, are wonderful things that I'm looking forward to talking about. I love that title. Thank you, thank you. So let's start first of all um, about how and when did you focus or, or begin to focus on joy as a um, as a topic of of pursuit or interest? It goes way back for me, and I think joy has just been a a word that has always stuck with me. It's it's personal development, it's spiritual exploration, it's really um, a lot of other kinds of buzzwords that I could use. But to me, the upshot of all of it is joy. 
And I think so many of us who do this kind of work, it's because we know the contrast. So it's, it's typically people who were not always joyful people, people who have overcome a lot and really had to recognize the truth that our joy is a, a choice that we can make. It is something that we can shift for ourselves and do in a sustainable kind of way that becomes our new default setting. So it's been a, a long journey for me with that. <laughs> okay. Uh, so how would you define joy and its um, companion happiness? I mean, how, how, what's the distinction between the two for you? Yeah, that's a good question. The way we define joy in joy school is that it's a freedom feeling. It's really a, a rightness within ourselves to just have the whole spectrum of human emotions that are inherent as creatures, right? It's not likely that anyone is going to be happy 24-7. That might even become boring to us human beings, right? We, we don't necessarily want to be happy 100% of the time, but we want to feel a rightness in our skin and a uh, vibrancy and aliveness, and that comes from accepting every emotion that comes up. You can be feeling grief, you can be feeling anger, and there can be a, a really healthy release in those emotions that's poignant and brings you to a, a deeper place within your humanity. So it's really about not villainizing any of the emotions that are natural to us human creatures, but finding the undercurrent of joy in all of them. Okay. So now... The title of your book is Free Your Joy. So it sounds to me like joy is kind of caged, <laughs> ready to be freed. Uh, so you know, why, why, why did you, why did you put, you select that title and, and what, what, you know, what is it that, that you um, mean by that? Yeah. So what I mean by that is one of the, the pillars of joy school that we, we just really, uh, base everything in is this understanding that we are joy at our core, that every one of us came here into this human experience as pure joy, bliss, peace, compassion for self and others. That is who we are at our essence. That's why everybody can recognize that we, we crave we crave love. We crave that, that inner peace throughout our lives because we crave that homecoming to who we naturally are. But the problem that happens for almost all humans is once we get here, we start accumulating obstructions to that being our experience of ourselves. And I borrow terminology from Eckhart Tolle that I learned from him decades ago that he doesn't even use anymore, but it's always been the terminology I've used in joy school, which is that we all have a vertical self and a horizontal. And the horizontal self is what a lot of teachers have called the ego, the persona. It's our name, our identity, our thoughts and opinions and allegiances and the roles we play in this this earth experience. And the vertical self is our, our source, our soul, our spirit. And we've been very, very, very conditioned to pay all of our attention and put all of our focus into this horizontal self where joy is kind of just a game of whack-a-mole. It's never going to be a consistent experience of our life until we learn to awaken and align more fully with the vertical self within us. So it's not like we're ever going to obliterate the horizontal self. We just want to 
make this repositioning happen so that the heart, the vertical stuff comes a little bit more into the foreground of our lives because that's where all our natural bliss and peace and ease, all of that resides. And we, we just bring the horizontal self a little bit more into the back seat because that's really a lot of illusion is, is what makes up the horizontal self. It's all these ideas that we formed when we were very, very, very young about our place in this space and time, what love is, what power is, what money is, what men are, what women are, all of these these definitions that we created when we were very, very young came from kind of arbitrary conclusions that we were drawing by observing our caregivers, maybe our culture, religion, whatever influences we had when we were very young caused us to create the definitions that are dictating how our horizontal self moves through life. And a lot of that is just not set up for joy, but when we can find and align more fully with that inner peace that always is there for every single one of us, that's when we can uh, get the bigger picture in view and start to um, just move away those obstructions to feeling that natural essence that we all came here as. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. Um, now, the the book um, has 12 keys, and you also kind of have the book set up to um, as kind of a, a guide for people to use for a year to kind of do a key a month, so to speak. And um, so why did you um kind of format it in in the sense you know of, of a year period you know uh, a lot of people probably yeah. want that instant instant fix and, and the year is like oh my god can i do this for a year so <laughs> why, why is it that you did that Exactly, exactly. If I could have authentically promised a sustainably <laughs> elevated choice that point in a month or a week, I would have written that book, Robert. I would have loved to have had the, the magic formula to write that book. And I think in my choice school, I've been doing this for 20 years, and I used to really think if I could just find the most powerful nuggets and just suss through all of this advice and spirituality and Buddhism and Vedic and all of this stuff, if I could just find the most powerful pieces and hand them over to my choice school students, they could turn their lives around on a weekend workshop. And I just realized that it's it's not really sustainable that way. You could go to a re mm -hmm. I do week weekend retreats. We're having a beautiful weekend retreat in October if anybody wants to come. You'll have powerful aha moments. You'll have, you know, these whole soul-stirring realizations. For it to be something that goes and we, we call it the joy step point, that natural spot of happiness where we all re just reside on a default basis. To, for it to sustainably elevate that joy step point so you're just having a completely different experience of your life, you really want to work it for a year, but it doesn't mean you have to wait till the end of the year to see any results or improvement or changes. You start seeing the changes right from the get-go. I just really wanted to write a book that there's absolutely no way that this won't work for you if you do it. And so for me, that meant let's let's go for this year plan. I can't make anybody do it over a year. People are going to go at their own pace. Most of my early readers have said they wanted to read it cover to cover, and then they went back and started applying the weekly, which is totally fine. I think that's a beautiful way to do it to get the whole overview and then go back and start doing the, the weekly practices. But, yeah, I just feel like if they do it for a year, there's no way they're not going to have a dramatic change in their lives. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and you know, of course, I didn't go through the, the book quickly, you know, um, you know, but I recognize that sure. 
working the program, so to speak, um, would mean, you know, doing it, um, you know, one, one, one key at a time, um, and, and, um, you know, in each of the weeks, you know, because you have, um, um, exercises, um, you know, for, for each, or practices for, for each week. Um, and one of the things I noticed in your book is you, you also point out that, you know, we're human and that, um, sometimes, you know, we would, uh, practice, um, you know, do, do practices that were, were maybe uncomfortable at first, um, do it for a while and then slip, so to speak, and, you know, and go back. Um, but, but that's just human nature, correct? Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, if there's a, a current that runs through every single one of the keys, every one of the weekly practices, it's self-compassion and self-love because I think that it's become such a cliche term, self-love, and people think they know what it means, and we really don't. We really don't understand what it means because it's about how we talk to ourselves in our minds 24-7. We're all having this internal dialogue every second of every day, and many, many people don't have the kindest voice up there, and it's really about having that compassion for yourself. That's how we heal. That's how we heal ourselves. So, yeah, some of the practices, most of them are enjoyable practices that you go do and bring into your life that week. There are some that, that are a little more tender and a little more feely because we all have stored away feelings that were just too big for us to process when we first encountered them. That is a super normal human tendency and those stored away feelings they they're in there and when something bumps against us in our day-to-day lives that matches the frequency of that stored away emotion it's going to trigger us we're going to go into a, a reactive mode from that and the only way to stop that patterning is to really get compassionate about what's in there and to be able to to love ourselves right right there there i had an analogy the other day in one of my trainings that you know, if you if you picture a little kid, a toddler with an ice cream cone, and the bowl of ice cream rolls off the ice cream cone and goes flat on the sidewalk, and the kid is just hysterical, just wailing. It's the end of the world. This horrible, unexpected thing has happened. And you want to imagine yourself as the loving parent who's going to take that child in your arms and just really comfort the child because you can see that they're in anguish over this. But at the same time, this loving parent knows that this is not going to cause any irreparable harm to the child. This isn't really a big deal. There are lots of ice cream cones in this toddler's future. They know that in 20 minutes when they get their their crying jag out, they're going to be distracted with some toy or some slide on the playground. And you just love and you give compassion to that child. Well, that that ice cream cone falling off the, the the cone is how all of our human problems look to our vertical self, right? Our soul mm-hmm. self has such compassion and love and genuine understanding for our horizontal selves bringing out all these dramas that we have in our life. When we can learn to step into that, that soul self and parent ourselves right there and say, I know this feels like a huge big deal to you. I love you. It's going to be okay. It, it just it drains all the energy out of the things that we hate or resent or we're so stuck and all of that that negative energy and the the big way that we put it on these circumstances in our life it's just feeding it attention feeding it energy and it's keeping these things in our lives when we can learn to drain the heaviness out of them they're just naturally going to fade out of our experience yeah yeah very very much um, so I want to talk just a little bit more about the joy set point, um, and, and kind of want to get clear as 
as to what it is and um, how that can shift when going through and, and you know, uh, working with the keys that you offer. Yeah, sure. So it's like just a spot of homeostasis. It's the way, like, if you set your thermostat, you know, your air conditioner is going to keep pulling the, the temperature back to whatever that thermostat is at, no matter what's going on, you know, to try to knock it out of whack. Or I've used the, a dieting example of, like, you can, like, really, really, really diet your butt off and get down to whatever size, but it takes a lot to keep it there because your body has a spot of homeostasis. Or if you go the other way, you go on a cruise and gain 20 pounds, but without doing much, your body's going to go back to its spot of homeostasis. Well, we all have a spot of contentment, a contentment with life that we learned when we were really, really young. And for a lot of us, it was hard. We were really, really young. It was hard to negotiate and process what was going on in our households or even it could be, you know, bullying situations on the playground. It doesn't necessarily need to villainize our parents. I think parents are all doing the best job they can. But we come to these conclusions about the world, about ourselves, and that creates our our comfort zone for our happiness. And then the world could be trying to give us everything that in the, could possibly make us happy. None of it is going to really change that that homeostasis level until we do the inner work. I think a lot of people can relate to that who look around their lives and say, like, wow, my checklist is complete. I've got all the things I thought were going to make me happy. I've got the partner and the home and the job, and I've got my hobbies and my leisure, and why am I miserable? I, I did the checklist, right? It, it's not about our external circumstances. That's kind of an equation that we've all got wrong. We think once we get everything perfect out there, then we'll be happy inside. And it's really the other way around. We have to learn how to have that peace and that joy and that contentment inside. And then that's the energy that goes out and shifts up whatever is in our external world that's not, not contributing to, to our, our greatest joy. A lot of us have a lot of things that we were told would contribute to our happiness that aren't really what, what our soul really wants and craves and needs. So getting clear about our soul desires versus our learned condition desires makes a huge difference. And that's really the, the process by which you sustainably elevate your joy at that point. We have to know that we deserve joy. And most people would say, oh, yeah, I think I deserve joy. I deserve to be happy. But it's a really deep subconscious uh, question that we have to look at because the truth is whatever degree of happiness and joy and contentment you're currently experiencing, that is the perfect mirror image to show you what you deep down believe that you're worthy of. And until we can authentically elevate our our deservingness expectations, we're not going to be able to have the kind of peaceful, joyful life that we want. Okay, so by um, becoming more um, aware of our deservedness, um, you know, for for experiencing joy and happiness, um, and, and more at peace with who we are, um, that then would raise the um, joy set point. I mean, do we? I mean, is it the sense where then once we make a shift, you know, that kind of vibrational shift, then um, we um, the set point is, I, I guess, higher or maybe would be more frequent um, 
that would be the the end result uh, of it. Yeah. Yeah, and as we, we always say in, in Doyle that we travel two parallel paths. And the first path is learning the art of, of true inner peace and joy and wellness within ourselves, which is the clearly most important path. But we also travel the path of manifestation because we're here to have desires and to bring them into fruition. What, what do we humans do is want stuff and create it and, and have it and enjoy it. It's just we have to disengage those two paths to recognize that this belief that having all those external desires in place is what's going to bring us happiness is backwards. We have to learn happiness, know how to do happiness, and then that's the energy that goes out and changes us the external to be however we want it to, to look in, in the truest, deepest sense for us, not what we've been conditioned to think it needs to look like, but what's truly going to light up our soul. Mm-hmm. Now, we obviously, you know, for, for a lot of people would have um, obstacles to the, the experiencing of joy. What, what are some most common types of obstacles have you come across um, that uh, interfere with people's ability to experience joy? Yeah, it's always our beliefs, and it's not necessarily the beliefs that we know and readily recognize about ourselves. It's more the beliefs that created our framework. When we when we arrive here, we are just joy and bliss, and we've come from a field of pure love and joy, and it, it's hard for the world the way it is right now at this point in human evolution. It's hard for the world to meet the expectations of a being of pure love and joy and light. So we, we tend to have disappointments as we are, are being raised, as we are coming into our own. And those those early, early, early formed beliefs that often have nothing to do with objective reality create blinders for us. Joe Dispenza is one of the teachers whose work I teach in Joy School, and he says that in any given moment, we have 400 billion bits of information available for our brains to process. But our little human brains have only evolved to process about 50 bits of information at any given time in a meaningful way that we can make sense of and keep in our memory banks and hold on to. So if you think about that, when we first get here, we're so eager to know how is it here? What are the rules here? What are the definitions that we start, we, we call them bucket beliefs. In Joy School, we start forming these beliefs that just become buckets that we continue to feed. And in those 400 billion bits of information, there could be a lot of evidence for a contradictory bucket, but we don't tend to do that. We have a built-in confirmation bias. We have a conformity bias with the culture that we live in. And we have a built-in negativity bias left over from our prehistoric days. So these biases all cause us to start seeing the world through this tiny keyhole that's unique to us based on these assumptions and beliefs and definitions that we first were informed by. And then we go through life only seeing through this keyhole. So in any given moment, what determines the 50 bits of information that are going to come through our perception filter and land as our experience of reality is is very arbitrary based on this filter of beliefs that we created very young. So we're missing a whole lot of potential opportunities, a whole lot of perspectives, because we all have these inherent blinders. 
And that's really what forms the obstruction. When we talk about identifying and dismissing the obstructions to living as the joyful beings that we're here to be, it's about recognizing where these beliefs have been coloring our experience of reality. There's really no such thing as objective reality because we're all seeing it through a keyhole and none of our keyholes are lined up the same. So we can take control of that through the, the practices that I teach in third school and laid out in the book so that we can expand our perception filter to see what's more of what's really there. Yeah. You know, the, um, you know, I like that keyhole analogy as far as, you know, um, kind of picturing exactly how limiting in scope our observations can be and the, you know, how important it is to expand those, to kind of go beyond and kind of just open up that door, you know, to just looking through the keyhole and to see what's there. Um, yeah. So um, when, when it comes time to, um, you know, raising the the joy set points, um, do we – is is it one of these cases where that as you go through the 12 keys and the year process that the set points are going to um, gradually increase as perception changes? And, and, and actually, one of the things I like about your book is you really stress the doing aspect um, in order to, you know, accomplish you know, the the, uh, the joy um, aspects that uh, you can't just wish it or think it into being. For sure. Absolutely, yeah. And um, I, I think you, you do see the set point increase for sure. There's, there's a little bit of a um, self-observation exercise early on where you can observe yourself in the what we call the pillars of inner joy and, and peace and you can see where you fall on them and it really just helps to make clear you know some of us are already knocking some of them out of the park but we can really see you know where which thought patterns which default ways of appro approaching the world are really limiting us and so yes the the joy subway will raise throughout the year and you'll be able to feel that and see that in a lot of different ways and it is pretty dependent on bringing the practices into your life. When you read the book, people get ahas. People say, I never thought of it that way. Now I understand it. Now I understand what this is. Now I understand what I've been doing here. But it's really about, okay, now that you understand it, go do it at work. Go do it in your relationship. Go do it at the grocery store. Do it when you're walking in nature. And it's taking these different practices, but some of them are really just uh, self-inquiry, just ways to draw your attention back to what's going on within you at different points throughout your day. Some of them, you know, are, are more action-oriented. But um, it, it's very important, especially in the early keys, to practice becoming the observer of yourself because we're all just running default patterns. That's how humans are wired. It makes life easier to have a standard answer for this, a standard answer for that. And we have to start noticing that and being being willing to really look at, at what what's working and what's not in a way that most of us never have done before. Yeah, very much so. Um, Lisa, we're um, about halfway through the show, so I want to take just a quick break, and then when we come back, um, I want to you know take a closer look at that 
observer aspect. The key, the key one in your book is awakening the observer. And there were a few things in there about um, the landscape of joy that I kind of want to cover just to give people an, an understanding of the qualities that comprise joy. Okay? Wonderful. Okay. 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 Everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hello. This is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,600 shows that we have had during the past 12 years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, nature photography, calendars, and 5 by 7 photo greeting cards. Our show is a free podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iHeart Radio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms on the top of our homepage. Our website, ByteRadio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone. Thank you for staying with us. Again, today, my special guest is Lisa McCourt, and we're talking about her new book, Free Your Joy, The 12 Keys to Sustainable Happiness. And again, you can find out more about the book as well as Lisa's other books and her many other activities by visiting her website, which is lisamccourt.com. Okay, with that, we're back, Lisa. Hi, Robert. Huh? Okay, great. So um, before we, we go on and talk a little bit more about the uh, Waking the Observer, um, you did briefly mention that you have um, an event in October coming up. So would you want to go ahead and just let the listeners know exactly what that is so they can maybe prepare and, and join it? Oh, thank you. Sure. I, I will say first because it's absolutely free, and I'd love to have your listeners that there is an online launch party for the book Free Your Joy on um, August 17th, and you can find out about that at my website, lisamacourt.com. That's absolutely free, and it will be a, a really powerful workshop where I'll lead the participants through some exercises. So I've got that. Um, Joy School, we always have things going on, but one of the ones I mentioned earlier that we're really excited about, there's a retreat in Southern California. Joy School is actually down in South Florida, but most of Joy School's events are online. This will be a live retreat in um in uh, Southern California in October 13th, 14th, and 15th at beautiful, beautiful Cactus Blossom Retreat Center. I'm leading it with one of my co-teaching partners, Victoria Shaw. She's an intuitive guide. She's going to help everybody awaken their intuition, and we're going to really get serious about our joy. So all that information is at the website, lisamiscourt.com. Great. Good. Thank you. Um, and then mark the uh, August 7th launch party on my calendar. Um, so, okay, yeah. key, I'm sorry, the seven, I guess 17th? August 17th, yeah. 
17th. I'm sorry. Okay. August 17th. Better get it right on my calendar. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the key one um, in your book is Awaken the Observer. And, you know, so um, it seems that that is uh, obviously the place to start is to kind of look and see where you're at. Um, one One of the areas within that section is called the qualities that com um, comprise um, joy, um, and in it, I, I wanted to, uh, excuse me, qualities that com comprise an inner landscape of joy. Um, so in it, there's, there's a few of them I just wanted to kind of bring up and, and you know, just get your, your you know, point of view on them. And, and one, one of them... Um, yeah, one one of them has to do with um, common. Um, my <laughs> my screen froze on me. Um, one of them is, is a, a namaste lens. Um, and would, would you mind talking about that? Because I think you know that that's a. I found that one to be a, a very um, interesting um, component, or you know, something that would contribute to one's experience of joy. Yeah, that, that's, what, that's a tricky one for a lot of us. There's a whole, whole chapter on that later when we talk about others because we, we do start the journey with looking inward and just looking at ourselves because that's where everything has to happen. But we are, you know, in this shared playground, this communal reality with other people, and a lot of our joy gets tanked by our expectations of others and others not meeting us in the way we want them to and not seeing us the way we want to be seen and, and basically just not loving us the way we want to be loved. So one of the pillars of the inner landscape that we develop throughout the, the whole course of the journey is what we call the namaste lens. Namaste is another one of these things. Everybody thinks they understand what it is. We bow to one another in yoga class, namaste. And a lot of people understand that the translation is the light in me recognizes and honors the light in you. But when we're really practicing namaste, when we're really clear about our own vertical self, we start recognizing the vertical self in those around us and the power that they have to knock us off our game or make us lose our grip on our joy significantly lessens when we are able to see everyone as a soul and recognize that the same things that have caused us to have these obstructions to our joy, obstructions to our compassion, maybe are the same kinds of things that have, have happened in their lives and created their obstructions. And none of our obstructions are going to match, so we don't completely understand everybody's, but we, we see it through that lens of the classic analogy about how holding resentment towards someone is like eating poison and expecting the other person to die, right? We all heard that, that it, it harms the holder of the resentment far worse than the person being resented. And in the same way, in a similar vein, once you're really getting more and more aligned with your soul self, you recognize your soul self just wants to love everybody. It feels good to love. It doesn't feel good to judge and dislike people. So it doesn't mean that you have to be in relationships with everyone, right? You can be honest about how much time you want to spend with people, what you want the nature of your relationship to be, while still loving every one of them because that feels good, because that's joyful for you. It has nothing to do with bestowing that on the other person. It's just really about this is one way that we elevate our joy at that point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, isn't that also, you know, kind of 
falls in with the area of forgiveness too. You know, when you know the ability to forgive is um, more for the self, you know, rather than you know the individual who is forgiven. You know, because sure. um, you know, it's one of those that you know they that other individual may not have the um, the tie to the you know, that emotional tie. That, that you have, that I would have, you know, to, to, um, as an obstacle to forgiveness. You know, by me forgiving someone, I'm really freeing myself from that, that emotional baggage, that, you know, that I would be carrying around. Exactly. Yeah. That is exactly um, right. Yeah. And, and one of the other qualities um, of that inner landscape of joy was, Present moment immersion. Um, you know, t- tell us about that because you know I try, I try often to, you know, live in that present moment. <laughs> you know, especially when I find myself, my mind wandering to, you know, the the past or the future and, and coming up with all kinds of scenarios that are just crazy, you know, that it's like, oh, I, I, it's one of those happens, it's like, okay, come back to now, you know, be here now kind of thing. For sure. Be here now is Ram Das, and I teach a lot of Eckhart Tolle. That was one of my most significant teachers in my journey, and um, Eckhart Tolle popularized the power of now. And I, I think, again, it's, it's a concept and idea that has lost a little bit of its depth in, in modern understanding of mindfulness practices. And it's really about the recognition that all of our suffering exists in the, the past or the future, unless you're being waterboarded in the moment. You know, there are certainly moments where we're in intense pain or there's something that's in this moment. But most of us, for most of our suffering, it's about regret over the past, shame over the past, incrimination, feelings about ourselves, feelings about others, or anxiety and worry about the future. And when we can sort of start noticing that again through our observer practice, we can bring ourselves back to what am I doing in this moment? What is actually here now? Not to, you know, fail to prepare for what's coming or, or not take the, but to take much more effective action. When we're in the present moment, noticing what can I do in this moment to make much this concern about the future, you know, feel better to me. And, and there's a deeper recognition that we go into again in a later chapter where anytime we're perceiving the world through this keyhole that was created in our past, we're not really in the present moment. We're not experiencing the fullness of the present moment because there are so many of those bits of information that we're being blinded to. So anytime that we're taking our beliefs and perceptions that were created in the past and layering it over what we're experiencing, we're not truly in the present moment. So the present moment almost always contains peace. Almost always whatever you're doing in that moment, if you look around, and, and you just notice the, the sounds that are coming in and out of your experience and maybe the, the tactile sensations of the chair you're sitting on and your clothing on your skin, it, it brings you into a more peaceful state because the present moment almost never is where the suffering resides. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, and 
one of the um, now we again talked about practices. Now you call them home play. Um, any particular reason? Is it just to get the individual's mindset into uh, the idea of it being play versus work? homework for this week and about seven, eight years ago, I said, you know what, we're going to call it your home play for this week. So, yes. <laughs> okay. so, now, I, I had to chuckle a little bit as I was going through the the, um, the recap of your uh, home play for, for Key One, um, the observer, and let's see, I'm going to read um, one of them. You know, again, you have them set up for people to do like weekly, um, but the Second one was pause pause throughout the day and ask yourself, darling, what are you feeling? Darling, what do you need? And observe their responses with compassion. So I mean you know, and, and that you know kind of fits in with the, you know, present moment kind of aspect, but but I had to chuckle with the darling and, and then the you know, one later it's like, it's okay, honey, you're human. So um when I read it, I, I chuckled. Thank you. Know, I'm, not, I'm, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you? No, no, no. You go ahead. Oh, I was going to say. No, you know, I don't. Yeah, you. In terms of endearment for ourselves. Right. Go ahead. Yeah. No. Okay. That, that's good. I mean, the point I was going to get at is just that you know. Darling and honey, for for me to myself, you know, wouldn't necessarily be my chosen term of endearment. So um, the idea is for someone to put in something that you know is that they would feel comfortable with. You know, I guess you know, you know, a different Absolutely. term of endearment. I'm not sure what that would be. Yes, you are invited to create your own. So I want you to imagine that something has just gone wrong, something that you completely had planned to go one way. You found out oh, it went a completely other way. And in that moment, you're feeling just frustrated, angry, upset, whatever. What If, if there were a completely loving presence that was right there, ready to just wrap its arms around you and make it better, what, what would feel good? What would Robert enjoy being called by this loving presence? Yeah. I'd have to work on that one. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, it's important. It's in important. Yes, yes, it is. And, and you know, that, that was kind of one of the reasons I wanted to bring it up is, you know, because these are things, for me, that I hadn't, um, that I would, I mean, just the idea that I would have to think about it is sad for me. <laughs> it's sad because I, you know, it's like, I should have some kind of idea, a term of endearment, you know, for myself, you know, but, um, but it, but I don't. Um, and I'm not sure, you know, how many people have that kind of thing. No, you're right. It's really common to have um, to have difficulty putting something like that in 
place. It is something I kind of stress and work with the joy schoolers on. I had one beautiful woman who, when she started doing it, said she was saying, darling and honey, and trying them on, that she said every time she did it, like, tears would just spill out of her eyes. It was just that foreign mm-hmm. to give herself that that uh that comforting presence, that kind of love. And this this is just an extension of inner child work and reparenting ourselves. And, and a lot of us maybe don't have the memory of that being part of our early experience. But it's so nurturing and shifting of your energetic frequency when you can give that to yourself and you can start. And, and we start out with just that little tiny, just call yourself darling in your head. And as you can tell, that progresses to, you know, a lot more more serious work as the book <laughs> goes on. But, yeah, it's just an early little experiment to, you know, see how that feels. Try that on. Because more yeah. often the, the voice in our head is saying, you know, you idiot, why did you pick that direction, you know? <laughs> This is how our yeah, all settings are more typically programmed. Yeah, that one I know. Um, but uh, yeah, okay. And, and <laughs> I think, well, you know, I, again, you know, I think when, when, as I was going through and reading, you know, it was apparent to me. For me, there is a lot of um, uh, shifting in perspective. Um, that would help me, you know, kind of raise that uh, joy set point. And, um, you know, and, you know, coming up with, a, you know, a, a term of endearment, you know, that I can, you know, direct it toward myself, you know, is certainly one of them. So, um, anyway, that, 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 that was, I thought that one was, was, um, was interesting and, you know, that's kind of why I wanted to, <laughs> to bring it up. Um, now, yeah. what are what are some strategies that people can employ for um, navigating um, experiences or situations that interfere with an experience of joy? You know, and, and we all of us know of uh, experiences, situations, and people. Um, who interfere with that joyful experience. Um, so what, what are some ways one could employ to navigate that experience? Sure, like when you're, when you're triggered in that moment, yeah. So one of the, the best things that we can do when we're not in that moment is that I have a, a whole chapter dedicated to meditation, and that word scares a lot of people off because they think of meditation one way again, but there are so many options and very, very, very minimal time investment options. There are not the typical things you'd think of, like singing and walking and, and different. It, it's the, the more we can practice disengaging from our reactive habitual thought patterns, because we're all just in, in habitual ways of doing things, right? Our thinking is very much a habitual process for all of us. So becoming the observer of our thinking allows us to get a little bit of clarity, a little bit of big picture around that. And then doing some practices that allow you to disengage from your thoughts when you're not being triggered go a long way towards building that muscle because it's just a muscle to be built so that when you are in that moment, you can kind of pull back and watch what's going on you're, you're not in it you're not you know like if you're if you're in a movie theater watching a movie and you feel like you're right there in the 
guy with the knife is going to stab you in the back. You know, as we've all known what it's like to be lost in a, a TV show or a book, we get lost in our our world that we're inhabiting even more so. We get so overly identified with our thoughts and overly identified with our horizontal self that when you've built the skill of disengaging from the thoughts, dropping into your vertical self, which is a skill that can be built foreign to most people when we first start talking about it, but with some practices, you can fall into your, your vertical self, your soul self, your overview of the situation. It allows you to disengage and come from a much more empowered position. And sometimes it's about noticing what's going on in your body. You could be like, hey, there's my gut clenching like it always does when this jerk starts yelling at me at work, and, and there's that cortisol shooting through my veins. Oh, my pit's getting sweaty. My brain's clouding over like it always does when this happens. You know, when we start noticing, okay, that's my bodily sensations. That's my, my body reacting to my habitual ways that I react in this situation. Let me go to some of these other uh, skills that I've been practicing. And, and it's just it's not about hiding from reality. It's about bringing your highest, most effective self to any situation. And we've all seen that in action, right? We've all seen people who just stay calm no matter what's happening, and they're that voice of reason, and they're able to soothe the savage beast in front of them or whatever's going on. It's just a skill. It's just a skill to be practiced and honed, but it's important to practice the skills when we're not in that that trigger moment so that it's easier to bring them to the moment when these things come up that want to knock us off balance. Yeah, yeah. To be prepared, you know, and to, you know, at least um, at least having the awareness of of the trigger and the physical responses that one's body kind of exhibits, you know, during during cases like that is, is uh, a step ahead of what most people do because it's Quite often, it's just reactionary. When there's a trigger, there's a reaction, and and it's you know trigger reaction, trigger reaction. It gets no one anywhere. Um, so um, yeah, it's really good to be empowered with you know with, with the knowledge uh, ahead of time. Um, so, do you have any advice for anyone who is trying to live a joyful life, but I mean, other than obviously, you know, going to the workshop or going to joy school and or, and, or reading the book, um, for your joy. Um, but just in general, um, you know, what, what are maybe some just, uh, you know, you know, general advice that, that you would, would give someone listening? Anything that you can do to bring more compassion to yourself. And, you know, there are myriad ways that we do this. I think a lot of people kind of scoff at the idea of self, well, I love myself plenty. But if, if you're berating yourself, if you're measuring yourself against others, if you're judging where you are or how far you've come or you're behind or, you know, any judgments that we make on ourselves, they usually are not warranted. We, we've, we're conditioned to that by those early formed beliefs that we created, that we mm-hmm. built our whole existence around. And and it's just kind of a, a simple place to start is just to really try to have that compassion for yourself. You mentioned this um, earlier when, when you were addressing the terms of endearment. Is a great practice is to just 
maybe even set your your watch or your your uh, phone to go off at various intervals throughout the day, and just really ask yourself, what am I feeling? What am I feeling right now? And then from there, you you notice your tendency to judge your feelings or dismiss your feelings or deny your feelings. Don't do that. Honor whatever feeling is there for you. Whatever feeling is there is a beautiful, beautiful clue to to where you are in in your your joy step point. You know where where you are in your life in terms of how many times throughout the day you notice that the feeling is one of frustration or anxiety or you know just notice that and have compassion for yourself there. That's really the the secret ingredient as we start revealing all these things about ourselves is learning to to honor our experience. Once you get clear on, on the question, what am I feeling, and you notice how judgy you are about that, the next question is, what do I need? What would I what would I really love right now? What do I need? Sometimes it's as simple as opening a window for some fresh air, or I just need to, to close my eyes and, and be quiet for five minutes and still because I need to disengage from all this chaos around me. Maybe you just need a cup of tea, but we don't take the time to to honor ourselves and see what it is we need. Sometimes it's a very, very simple need. And even if we find out that what we need is some big thing that seems really unattainable at the moment, once we've alerted our consciousness to this desire, the the steps can start appearing that would allow us to have it. And sometimes, you know, that, that has to happen in increments. Yeah. One, one of the um, topics in... in in the book is um, that you indicate that our feelings aren't the problem. Um, so from what I hear you saying is that it's um, it's not that we have these feelings that is the problem, but it's important to recognize, recognize the feelings and, um, I guess, work with them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We don't like having unpleasant feelings. <laughs> That's just sort of a mm-hmm. common denominator of human fun. beings. We, we'd rather pretend they're not there, distract ourselves away from them. That's a big one. We all have our go-to distractions to distract ourselves away from our unpleasant feelings. But that doesn't do anything to heal the core problem. That just keeps us in cycles of distraction or denial or repression. And sometimes admitting our true feelings to ourselves, you know, over a, a period of time, maybe we don't want to look at what that would mean. Maybe admitting our true feelings means I, I'm not happy in this relationship or I'm not happy in this job, and we don't like the bigness of what that would imply we should do. It doesn't mean you have to do anything, right? It's, it's always a slow, gradual process that, that's going to honor you and your needs first. So I think people are afraid of looking at what their true feelings are because they're afraid of the bigness of the implication, you know, and they're not ready to leave the job or, or you know, make the big change or move. You don't have to. You don't have to be ready. Just start being honest with yourself. Start being honest with what, what your soul's been trying to tell you because when we deny those feelings and we don't listen to our soul self, that tends to create a lot of chaos around us and a lot of times that's the energy that sends out the the crisis that sends us into some dark night of the soul it's because we've been ignoring the more subtle messaging for too long so that's just a a little thing that that your listeners could start to put into place is just honor whatever is true and present for you in your feeling space great good so what what do you hope readers will take away from reading free your joy so many things, Robert. 
my life's work. I've poured everything into this book. It's very, very comprehensive. So um, definitely a new understanding of themselves, an ability to switch into the vertical self at will. We all have a soul. There's not a, a person walking the planet that doesn't ha have this spirit self, this vertical self that I keep talking about, but we've been so trained away from recognition of it and alignment with it. And when we awaken that alignment, which is just a, a matter of changing some, some habits and, and putting some new practices into place, when we awaken that alignment, it changes everything. We don't have to, when we're at a decision point, go to our pros and cons list and our mental spirals of all our thoughts about it because our thoughts are not super reliable. They're not really a, a good indication of what's true and real for us. It allows us to go to our, our intuition instead and know, be able to hear the different voices in our head. Hear the voice of, oh, there's my ego itself trying to spin all those stories that's always told me versus, ah, oh, there's the more quiet, subtle voice of my inner knowing. There's my, my vertical self. And it just feels pure and it's clear and it doesn't have a lot of bells and whistles and you can recognize it as the truth and that's probably the most uh, most profound high goal that I have for, for the readers when they're done with the practices in the book but it's completely attainable and completely doable and it changes everything because that's when your, your joy set point is just through the roof and there's nothing that can really happen out there that's going to touch it. Great. Well, Lisa, thank you for your time today. It's really been a joy, <laughs> truly. I don't mean that as a fun, but it has been. And, and I've learned a lot in, in reading your book um, and, and plan on going through and, and doing the home play <laughs> that's associated with uh, each of the, each of the uh, keys. So thank you for your time. Now, if people want to get in touch with you, um, you're on social media, correct? I am. I'm mostly just a Facebook dinosaur. I have other social media accounts that I don't pay a lot of attention to. I'm sorry to say, but Lisa McCourt, author on Facebook, I go to every day. I love to have conversations there and engage with people. So I'd love to have a friend request at Lisa McCourt, author. And all the various things Joy School offers are all at lisamacourt.com. There are two monthly events also that we have every single month if you have a complex for the, the free event. Um, look at the other events, and, and hopefully I'll see you at Joy School. Great. Well, I'll, I'll be joining you on Facebook because um, I'd love to be able to follow you and, and, and your work. And, and also do want to remind people about your free launch party on August 17th, <laughs> that they can go to your website at uh, com and um, sign up for that. So thank you for your time, Lisa. I appreciate it. Beautiful, Robert. I appreciate you. Thank you for this conversation. You're very welcome. And everyone, thank you for joining us for today's edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Amazon Music, and Audible. To follow our show on any of those platforms, visit ByteRadio.me and select the one you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.